0: And then there were two. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to episode 60. Big Skins and Nylon, presented by Tabby's.com, the best dedicated edible in the market. Casey's Michigan Wolverines and then the Purdue Boilermakers are now the last two Big Ten teams standing. I'm miserable, but I have to ask you, you have got to be pretty fired up right now, Casey.
1: Yeah, pretty fired up, I guess. If you would have asked me in the preseason if these would be the last two Big Ten teams standing, I would have told you, yeah. But going throughout the season, obviously I was not very confident in this Michigan team making a run in the tournament. But I, you know, we're gonna get into to those games, I'm sure. But yeah, pretty, pretty excited, fun weekend, man. That was I, I always loved that weekend, that first weekend of March Madness. Really enjoyed all the basketball games, despite having a little Came down with a little cold Friday, but um, chilled out on the couch most of the day. It was nice.
0: There really isn't anything like the first weekend of March Madness. The second you still have a little bit of the craziness, but it's typically I feel like we're we'll get into the St. Peter's Purdue matchup, but that's where those Cinderella's usually go to die. And that first weekend, it's like everybody actually believes that you have a shot. It just feels really special. And to have the fans back, it really does feel like March is finally here again.
1: Yeah, I heard on the radio today some of the guys were kind of pooping on this St. Peters team. They're like, Yeah, you know, it's a nice, nice little run that they're having, but it's called the Elite Eight for a reason. And it's the, you know, elite teams in the country. And they they weren't too confident that St. Peters was going to be able to pull off the upset against
0: Purdue. Well, considering with like Florida Gulf Coast and even Oral Roberts last year, the only two 15s ever do it all yeah they maybe gave arkansas a little bit of a push last year but it you never really have that belief that they're actually going to be able to get it done at this stage in a weird way i feel like that week off between the games it can almost suck a little bit of that momentum and that confidence about you and then you go out and now this st. peter's team's going to have to deal with a 7 foot 4 monster travion williamson and then still try to stop jaden and ivy at the same time
1: yeah, Purdue looked like they had their offense rolling last night. And when that, to be honest with you, when that, that team is shooting the way that they shot last night, beyond Williams is doing his thing. He was a beast in that first half. It's uh, one of the best teams in the country. So I, I don't expect St. Peter's to be able to
0: match up size-wise or even at their, at the guards this coming week. Before we get into the recap of last week, just got to shout Hayden out here. He will probably be back here, whether it be next week, week after, with doing daddy duty again. And he was awesome this last week and let me stay at his place. It was really fun to watch a little basketball with him, too. But just wanted to give you guys an update on where he is today. But then, Casey, before we get into the recap, there was one thing of Big Ten basketball news I had to bring up to start the show that really bummed me out. Bryce McGowan's announced that he has done it in Nebraska after one season. Really thought that Nebraska had a chance to have kind of a little storybook year for them. Kind of like how Rutgers did. Instead, they win seven games. They look really just rough for most of the season. And the dream is pulled out from under our feet before it even gets going.
1: Very disappointing to hear about that. Um, I'm not really sure what it, where his draft stock is currently, um, but I would imagine he's a late first round, probably early second round kid. And you know, you're right. They, they they could have had something special next year, uh, kind of a little bit of a turnaround, maybe push for the tournament. Had he come back? Because he was playing really well toward the end of the year. But, you know, I'll, you can't blame the kid for leaving early. They, uh, Nebraska had to have known signing such a high kid coming out of high school that there was a possib- possibility that he was going to be a one-and-done player for them. So, uh, hopefully they're prepared because without
0: him next year, um, they're really going to have to look elsewhere for some scoring. Yeah, they are, and it just doesn't feel like they're ever going to get off the ground now because that felt like an opportunity for Hoyberg and that program to take that next step and and become, again, kind of that Rutgers team, the middle of the pack, occasionally have a team good enough to go to the tournament. Now all that preseason momentum, it's completely gone. Not really much else to say positively about Nebraska basketball yet again. Well, let's get into the NCAA tournament now. A couple playing games this last week. One, we came out on top. One, we didn't. Indiana, they did get Trace Jackson Davis into the tournament, but it was pretty short-lived. They lose to St. Mary's. Honestly, get their ass kicked. At one point, it was 65-33. to And then you had Rutgers. They lose in their first four game to Notre Dame, who went on a little bit of a run. One of the better first four games I can ever remember going to double overtime. Of these two teams, last four teams in, final thoughts on the season as a whole for them? I think for Indiana, it was
1: kind of disappointing. You know, I know they made a good push in the Big Ten tournament, winning two games there. The the win against Wyoming is something that I think we all expected, but to get blown out the way they did by St. Mary's, a team that, you know, we kind of thought Indiana wouldn't match up too terribly with. You know, leaves a sour taste in your mouth for sure. Um, but overall, Indiana for the most part was disappointing, having one of the best players in the Big Ten on your roster. Rutgers, on the other hand, what you're right. What a game that was against Indiana or Notre Dame. Really felt like Rutgers had a shot to beat Alabama if if they were to play them, and it just so happened that Notre Dame ended up beating Alabama too. Uh, or not two, but ended up beating Alabama, so we might have been spot on with that assessment there. Good step in the right direction for this Rutgers program this year, and it was really fun to see a lot of the momentum that they had, and hopefully they can carry that on to uh, to next season.
0: It was really nice to finally have Indiana back in March Madness. It did end in a tough way. You start sixteen and five in a year. We were talking about this team having a little bit of a run in them in a the tournament. Some really tough losses down the stretch. One being to the Ohio State game where you're up four late. We talk about that it seems every week. You avoid that first four matchup. I don't know if we're having this discussion. They just look so tired in that St. Mary's game. Like the last two weeks finally had caught up to them. And that's no excuse. St. Mary's, they good for them in their own right. Great season. Just lose to UCLA. Very talented team in their own right. But it's good to see them back. And as for Rutgers... Yeah, it's a little bit disappointing after how well they were playing in January and February, but this is also a team that's going to be bringing back Clifford Amore next year, and there is a real reason to believe that even without Geo Baker or or, or Harper Jr., that this team can be there again. But, Casey, I want to ask you a question. If this is cool with you, we're going to skip Michigan. We're going to skip Purdue. We're going to just talk about the teams that went eliminated, basically just group their games together and go from there. So then let's start with Iowa, because this was it had to have been the most disappointing team this year for the Big Ten, and there's a lot of disappointments yet again. This conference, this time of year, just seems to break our hearts time and time again. But Richmond, I don't think any of us—this was my Sharpie game. This was the game that I was so confident that Iowa was going to go out. I thought Jordan Bohannon was going to be able to handle Jacob Gilliard, the kid that— is the all time NCAA Steels leader. And instead, Gilliard dominated that matchup 24.6 and 6 to Bohannon 6 2 and 3. How disappointing is it that the Big Ten champion went out in such limp and embarrassing fashion? A team that was scorching hot, too, man. Won the whole
1: Big Ten championship or the tournament and really felt like. They had a lot of momentum going into the tournament, and you're right. We were very confident in this Iowa team. We knew that Richmond would be scrappy, but Iowa still only had 11 turnovers. That's that's not too terrible. They just shot the ball poorly, man. I mean, they shot 36% to Richmond's 42% and 20% from behind the arc. I think that was the big uh, the big key for that. Man, just disappointed is, is the only word that I can come up with with this Iowa team because You know, I I saw a potential Elite 8
0: run for this team heading into the tournament. The way their defense has been playing the last month, I had them in the Final Four for me. I thought that they, in that region especially, it lined up so well for them. They had a pretty weak three. They had a weak four. You have Providence and Wisconsin. And then you, you get beat. And to be honest, Richmond just outplayed Iowa. It wasn't even just like, it was on all facets. It felt like Iowa... You had the wrong Murray shooting more often than not. You had Jordan Bohannon couldn't find an open look to save his life. If you went into this game saying that Richmond was going to have sixty-seven points, I would have said that Iowa killed him. because I would have thought Iowa was going to be up in the nineties in this game. We talked about Richmond was the ninth best defense in the A-10. This was, we should have known the when this game happened on Thursday what we were getting in for because yet again it's just embarrassment from the Big Ten, getting beaten games they have no business losing. I <laughs> I
1: completely agree with you, man. Let's uh move on to the next team that disappointed us.
0: Well I'll actually say that I was pleasantly surprised with Ohio State on Friday, albeit they did only score 54 offensive points. Defense looked really really good against Loyola Chicago. You pair that with Lucas Williamson having the worst game of his career one of ten shooting one of five from three And then one of six from the free throw line where the guy was a high 70s shooter. You actually feel bad for kids when you watch games like this where their careers come to such a disappointing end like this. But Ohio State, you had to give them credit on Friday, that is. Played tremendously on defense. But then on Sunday, much like we expected on this show, if they did face Villanova, they were just too much. Ohio State's offense didn't show up just completely lacking conviction. I felt like everything was, I, I, you're like worried too much. Like you're trying to like aim the pass. It wasn't just like you were out there playing and trusting your gut. It felt like everything was overthought. And it's just, again, consistently underperforming in the Chris Holtman era.
1: You know, I couldn't tell whether or not the game against Loyola for a good point, a good part of, That game, whether it was good defense on both sides or just bad offense, and I think that was a little bit of both, you know, to score 23 points against a a Loyola team in the first half, you know, is obviously not very impressive. But uh, I thought both teams got after it defensively for the most part. You know, the the biggest key was Ohio State got to the foul line 21 times and converted 81% of them, whereas Loyola only got there 10 times and. Only made three of them, so uh, you know that was that was the biggest difference in my eyes. Uh, Ohio State shot six percent from three, one of fifteen, and they still won the game by thirteen points. That is absolutely outstanding. Or, <laughs> outstanding, I, I guess it's uh, what, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, cr- crazy, I guess is the only way that I can describe that. You never see a team shoot one of fifteen in today's day and age and win a game. But yeah, you know that that. Shooting slump, I guess, kind of carried over to Villanova. They didn't shoot terribly. They were seven of twenty-two from three, and to be honest with you, a couple of those were, I mean, prayers that were answered. Michi Johnson's long three from the logo when the shot clock was running down, and then who else did EJ bank one toward the end? Yeah,
0: and he it, it came out like at a hundred miles an hour too.
1: Yeah, yeah. So, um, you know, credit to that. They fought. They they really fought that Villanova game. They made it. They made it seem like they had uh, a chance to win, but you know, once they got it to two, they just weren't able to to get a stop on defense, really. So um, it worked out like a lot of Ohio State games this year when they played really, really good teams. So in that regard, I'm not too surprised with with the result that is, but they were outmatched, Villanova. I'm not. I'm not sure. I expected them to
0: win that game, but
1: good fight by the Buckeyes.
0: 1 of 15, like you said, in that first game. was It's crazy that it was overshadowed. People didn't even notice because the game never felt really up in the air. And it was very much similar, I feel like, to Villanova. Yeah, they cut it to two very late in the game, but there was no moment in that game I thought Ohio State was ever going to get over that hump. They trailed throughout. And every time it felt like Ohio State would get on a run, hit two shots in a row— Villanova, and you got to give them credit. They're a veteran team. Colin Gillespie, he's been there a million years. It seems like he would get a big shot whenever they need one. And that, it was crazy. It felt like every time they'd cut the seven or eight points, they had an answer. And it'll be interesting because Villanova is a smaller team. You saw that yesterday. And they're going to be facing off against Michigan here next week. And that's going to be a really interesting factor in that game. Michigan's size versus... The slow pace of the half-court offense here with Villanova should be a lot of fun, and we'll get to that here in a bit.
1: One, one more thing about the Iowa State game real quick, too. I mean, I know you played it out a few weeks ago and talked about Malachi and everything, and really the worst-case scenario happened for you. He he balled out. He had 23 points, 10-19 shooting that game against Villanova, and you lost. So you got to think he improved his draft stock with that game. I'm not sure where where exactly he's at anymore, but you know, with with rumors that he was leaving or leaning toward going to the NBA, you can't imagine that this weekend hurt his chances.
0: You're right, and ironically, I was talking with a buddy Jack, who is a diehard Villanova fan. So we've been messaging throughout the weekend about we knew it was going to happen. You just knew as soon as the region came out, something like like a matchup like that would would occur here. But they it's the difference of a program like Villanova versus the difference of Ohio State, where Villanova fans were worried about losing Vinny DiVincenzo a few years ago before the Michigan-Villanova national title game if he had a monster game. Whereas Ohio State fans like myself, we have those exact same worries in a second-round game. That's where we're at right now, where it was like, is it worth beating Villanova if you're going to lose Malachi Branham to the NBA draft. And like you said, it was a worst case scenario because not only do not win, he did play very well. And I I don't know. I I feel like he probably will leave now. I'd be very simple. He might do what Bryce does. uh, Bryce McGowan's that is announce that he's going pro. And if it doesn't look great, he can always say no. Now the way the rules work.
1: Yeah. To touch on your point that I, obviously it would have been worth it. If Ohio state had won,
0: I don't want, I did not want to play Michigan by the way. So I don't know. I really don't know. No, really. Wow. I thought we'd lose. And if we lost to Michigan, after what happened in November, this would have been like the worst four or five-month stretch Ohio State fans our age have probably ever had.
1: Yeah, but, dude, you you had to have been rooting for the rematch. Split the regular season games, third time would
0: have settled it. I know. I'm a coward with this team. Truly. This, what has this team done at any point this year that makes me think playing the Michigan team that right now that's getting hot is a good thing on a neutral court? No chance in hell. I did not want any of the smoke.
1: Yeah, I'm only saying that because I would have been pretty confident that Michigan would have won that game.
0: Um, yeah, I would have been too.
1: <laughs> yeah. On, uh, on Malachi, real quick, it He's gonna declare. He's going to declare. It's whether or not he he comes back after he gets his evaluations done. So hold on to your seats, Buckeye fans, because if you lose EJ and and Malachi, as we've seen throughout this back half of the year, I don't know where in the heck you're gonna get this scoring from next year. But you know that's a that's a conversation for a later day. I don't mean to pile on here for you, Wally, but we can move on to the next team.
0: Well, my last comment then, because you spurred it in my head, it sounds like they're going to retain Holtman for one more year, and if the expectation is basically you got to have a sweet 16 or bust. And guess that's awesome. That's great in theory, but the team's going to be worse. If're if that's the goal then with the next year's roster looking at it right now, I understand the class is really good. I understand, but this just feels like you're dragging your feet for a year for an inevitable firing then. It, it doesn't make sense to me.
1: Yeah, you have to be realistic with your expectations next year. While Ohio State's class um, ranks high in the, I think it's number five in two four seven. You also have to remind yourself that it's because they have they have quality players. Don't get me wrong, but they don't have any five star guys. They, I think their their best guys rated number forty two or something, and that's not necessarily. You know, he might be a guy that you can step in right away and, and rely on. But as we saw with Malachi, Malachi took a little bit to get going this year. And so, yeah, you know, they have a lot of guys in that class. That's why they, they, they're they rated so high in the team rankings. But, you know, you don't want to be that that team that relies on
0: freshmen to come in and score right away. If, if the goal is Sweet 16 or he's fired next year, it's already a wasted year. I'm already annoyed with it. But let's go to another team that was very disappointing this weekend. And that, also in Pittsburgh, the Illinois Fighting lion Illini, they scored 107 points in their two games. Their guard play was as bad as I can ever remember it being. The offense was so mundane, so stupid, too, in that Houston game, where it was just so predictable. Kofi's going to post up. We're going to try to get him the ball. We're going to get the ball to him, I'd say, 70% of the time. You would turn it over left and right, too. Houston knew it was coming. They were just sitting there waiting for it. They probably got lucky to beat the Mox on Friday night, and then you turn around against Houston, who got to give so much credit to Houston, Calvin Sampson. They're missing their two best players this year. They're in the Sweet 16. That's a coach that I don't feel like gets nearly enough credit, and he's just maximized the results there. And that's what's so frustrating coming off of what we just talked about when you see something like that. But th- again, Illinois was one of the teams that we thought could be not only a Big Ten threat, but a national championship threat and just a unbelievably disappointing two days. You're right, Wally. Uh, you know, you would think
1: after Illinois barely squeaks by Chattanooga that you would, you know, ha- have some stuff cleaned up, take care of the ball. And they did not. Um, Kofi is not very good at passing out of the post. They had 17 turnovers in that game. Not all, you know, obviously not all of them were on him. But when you, when you have 17 against a team like Houston, who's 31-5, and five, by the way, and not the, the worst conference in the world, you're not going to win that game very often. And on top of that, shooting 24% from three is just uh, not a recipe for success. Uh, Illinois, you know, they've been hot hot and cold pretty much throughout the whole year. But to end the year like this, I mean, I just feel like we're going to be saying the same thing about all these Big Ten teams that lost in the second round. You expected more of them, and, you know, this really damages the conference conference look right now, man. We've been boasting about how good this conference is for the past two, really two years, and we just haven't. Nothing to show of it in the NCAA tournament. Chalk this up to another disappointing team.
0: Uh, Yeah, two thoughts on that. First of all, this is, like, this conference is still really good, and I get annoyed because there's going to be a lot of people that are going to enjoy dancing on the grave of the Big Ten yet again. What's frustrating is that people, like, for people like us that watch all year, we've seen that this is probably something we should have expected, that there is not a league in the country deeper than the Big Ten. But there was really never that team to emerge this year either as a national title threat. Wisconsin, we saw the writing on the wall for them for the last two months that, yeah, they might win a regular season title, but they're going to be a very easy pick. They were like Providence where everybody on earth was picking South Dakota State against them. Everybody was either picking Colgate or they were going to pick uh, who was Iowa State or LSU to beat them. And that was on effectively a home floor. That was in Milwaukee. So this is a very frustrating year in that regard for the Big Ten. But on top of that too, it feels so frustrating. But it's also funny because this football or this basketball conference is so similar to our football conference in regards that it's very fundamentally sound defensively, but it's so it can be very boring too. And if you can't win these games 54 to 53, like Illinois did on Friday, you're going to have the games like that happen on Sunday where they lose 68 to 53 to Houston. And I don't know how it gets better. Cause it feels like we just do the same kind of thing year in and year out.
1: I don't, I don't really know either Wally. And you know, the, the reason why that I've been so high on Purdue this whole year is because I think they have a, a great combination of both. Now, Iowa has been more explosive than Purdue, but I think Purdue has been more consistent and they have bigger stars throughout their lineup, which is why I think that, um, you know, they are where they are and they could obviously advance even further. So, you know, we'll talk about Purdue here in a little bit, but that that was probably the team that I expected throughout the year to make the deepest run, although, you know, these other teams have been very disappointed in the tournament.
0: Without a doubt, Illinois was one of the teams we've been high on. But I have to, this feels like an excuse, but I just want to get your take on it. That technical foul that was called on the dunk with eight minutes left in the game was one of the worst I can ever remember in the NCAA tournament. And again, this sounds like an excuse, and maybe it is. Maybe I'm making one right now. But after that point, it was 46-42 to 42 when that technical foul was called. Illinois had a ton of momentum on their side. That disappeared. They were outscored 22-11 to 11 after that. Not to say that that game would have ended differently, but I hate more than anything in sports when it turns into a ref show, and that's what it felt like we got there at that moment in the second half.
1: Momentum's a real thing, man, and and I'm right there with you. Not necessarily thinking that it would have changed the outcome of the game, but uh, you never know. Illinois was creeping back into the game there. It's a four-point game. You get a stop on defense, and then and then who knows. But it it really did seem like that technical foul just sucked the life out of Illinois. And, and yes, it was one of the worst technical foul calls that, that I've seen.
0: Let's get on to our last couple losers of the tournament here, here uh, I guess. Michigan State, they started the tournament with a tough win against Davidson in Greenville, South Carolina. A lot of Davidson fans on site for that one. So that was impressive that they were able to come out there. And then all I can say is anybody else on earth like me that had Michigan State plus seven and a half has to feel so gross right now. They were winning with less than five minutes in the game left. And then Duke found a way to cover minus seven and a half. I get the cool fun storylines of Izzo versus coach K for the final time. But this is going to be a game that Michigan State fans are going to remember for an awful long time because... I think they actually had a shot against Texas Tech if they got out of this game. And then all of a sudden, you have a real chance to make the Final Four. It would turn into a battle of the Titans with Gonzaga. But we might be having a very different conversation today. Instead, Duke, yeah, in the final five minutes, they get the better of Tom Izzo's team here. What were your thoughts? Michigan State was
1: one of the the teams coming out of the tournament or that lost in the second round that I thought – You know, went out with a, with a good fight, I would say. You're right. They, they had, they had it. They had the lead under five minutes left and it looked like they were going to steal this game away from Duke. I thought Duke outplayed them in the first half and Michigan State was able to keep that at four, which was really impressive. But yeah, just, just lost steam, man. It was a great game. It was a very fun game to watch. I actually turned it off there for a little bit or no, I went to go get ice cream is what I did. And I came back, Michigan State has a lead, so I was locked in from there on. But, yeah, absolutely sickening that Duke ended up covering
0: that game. But what 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 a what an outstanding game it was. This isn't Big Ten related, but doesn't it kind of feel, and this would unfortunately be at the expense of Purdue, but doesn't it feel like we might be on the verge of a UNC-Duke Final Four matchup for Coach K's potential final game?
1: <laughs> yeah, we could be. Um, but don't count out UCLA. UCLA is playing pretty, pretty well right now, um, and they face North Carolina in the Sweet 16. But, yeah, it, I, I hope it doesn't come to that because I'd like to see Purdue get to the Final Four, but um, it would it'd be a really cool storyline. You're right.
0: Absolutely, and let's get into the last one where, again, I mentioned before, Wisconsin played their games at Milwaukee, which makes this even more painful. Really struggled with 14-seed Colgate. I know that Colgate was hitting some crazy shots in this game but the fact that Wisconsin really felt like they were in trouble up until about five minutes left kind of set the stage for yesterday where they, uh, frankly, got embarrassed against Iowa State. I know it was a five-point game, but you're held under 50, and just, again, felt like with less than 10 minutes left that they never really were in that game, that the Cyclones never lost control. Shame on us forever believing that they could be a Sweet 16 team. But I had them beating Auburn. Like, this is – I am so amazed that I fall for the Big Ten trap year in and year out, and I'm just – you already said it, but we're just saying the same things for all these teams. It's the same formula, and it's that cliché, the definition of insanity, doing the same thing year in and year out and expecting a different result.
1: Man, this this game was ugly. This Iowa State-Wisconsin game was ugly. It was intense throughout the whole game. And you're right, man. Wisconsin, it it just feels like some teams have it. You know what I'm saying? From year to year to year. And Wisconsin does not have it when it comes to the tournament outside of their, you know, 20, what, 15 run with Kaminsky and Sam Decker and that team. It just feels like they they lose steam going into the tournament nowadays. and, And it... I mean their their shooting was pathetic that Iowa State game. They shot 29%, 2 of 22 from 3. It it was just an ugly offensive game to watch. The crowd there was was behind, was behind them the entire time and that's what made it fun to watch because every time it seemed like Wisconsin was chipping away at the lead, you know, they 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 couldn't do it. So another disappointing loss. I thought that playing the 11 seed, one of the weaker 11 seeds in the tournament. Wisconsin had a shot to make the Sweet 16, and they would have had a beautiful matchup with Miami now that Auburn, you know, now that we found out that Auburn lost. But (laughs) I feel like we should count how many times we say disappointing throughout this this show here today. But um, there's no other word to describe this Wisconsin team
0: it's embarrassing, too, because this is the basketball equivalent to what I feel like the Big Ten perceptual, like the way the perception was went through about in like 2008 through twelve in football, where it's just like, you're too slow. Yeah, you've got the name brands. Every year, expect this one to be different, and we kept getting fooled. I mean, it kept happening time and time again, and it's the same thing right now. Yeah, the league is so deep. There's no denying how deep the Big Ten is, but I don't know what's going to elevate – the the Big Ten conference and it feels that's where it's really frustrating with the Michigan two national title game losses, the Wisconsin national title game loss, because it feels like if those games had gone differently, not only is the perception changed, maybe that does something for recruiting, maybe that does something for those programs. And now we're again, it's the same discussion year in and year out, where now it's going what on twenty one, twenty two years that we haven't won a championship and. I don't know when it's going to end. I really don't think that it's anytime soon. Well, you could argue that perception of big Ten football is still true today. Very true. Yeah.
1: So I I, I don't know what the solution is. It seems like the teams that recruit better aren't always the guys that are – aren't always the teams that are making the deep runs in the tournament. Like Purdue does not recruit very well when it comes to, like, the recruiting rankings of their players. They just develop really well. Zach Eady, Jaden Ivey – Travion Williams, those were not highly recruited guys. So it it just, yeah, you're right. It makes it question, you know, why the heck, (laughs) I guess, we
0: get so trapped with these Big Ten teams. Well, let's just talk about some good news then, at least now. We'll start with your Michigan Wolverines. They played Colorado State on Thursday in the opening game of the tournament. I I always love that. I love when the Big Ten team does open it up because you have that immediate interest involved. But it didn't start good. Colorado State, they hit four of their first six threes, and you kind of were sitting there thinking, oh boy, the track meet is on. They actually finished off then making only eight of their next 29 threes. Michigan was chipping away, had a little bit of that home court advantage with the Indianapolis-Michigan crowd there. They do get it done. Then you follow that up with the win against Tennessee on Saturday, down five at the break, before they were just better than Tennessee the whole second half. Casey... I'll let you take it away. How are you feeling after the first couple games? Whew. They had me They had me scared,
1: that's for sure. Um, that Colorado State game, although Michigan was trailing at the half, I just felt like if they guarded the three-point line a little bit better in the second half, that they were – you could see I, – I, I guess, get, had the feel throughout the first half, like Michigan is the better team right now. They just – you know, Colorado State's hitting some shots and – that They had to cool down, and that's exactly what happened. That Colorado State team was scared as hell to go inside, and so that's why they shot 35 three-pointers. So, you know, really good by Michigan to to take advantage of the things that they were clearly better than. They only attempted 14 three-pointers that game, and they shot 54%. Overall, you know, they it, it fed the ball inside. That's exactly what they needed to do against the Colorado State team, you know, Hunter Dickinson. Had a great game. Frankie Collins saved. Oh, my goodness. That that dude played the best game of his life, or probably not of his life, of his young college career against Colorado State. So, shout out to him. He also played very, very well against Tennessee the following game, which had me even, I mean, had me so scared, too, because their guards were so freaking quick, and Michigan was just getting blown by them. And then they started uh, – Kennedy Chandler started hitting some three-point shots, and, I, oh, my gosh, this thing is over. But yet again, man, when you rely on one of the best big men in the country, Dickinson just showed out. He had 27 points, 11 rebounds, shot 8 of 10 from the free throw line, which is at his average, which is kind of surprising. I didn't realize that it was at 80%. But him and Eli Brooks carried the team that that game. Diabate, I was kind of getting on him earlier. He was missing some bunnies, man, which really would have kept them closer in the game in the first half. But overall, man, I I can't complain. I did not expect them to beat Tennessee, and that was an outstanding win.
0: You have to be a little excited, too, because I know that you've been pretty critical of Caleb Houston this year. Doesn't it feel like he's gotten a little bit better? You and Hayden, obviously, were arguing during the game. I actually side with Hayden here. I thought that Caleb Houston looked really sharp in that Colorado State first half, at the very least. I feel like he's making strides to at least be a player that can be an asset to Michigan later on in the tournament if they need him. Did you watch that boy play against Tennessee? (laughs) Again, he's not all the way there, but it still feels like he's making the strides. He has improved a lot more than, I guess, when we were talking about him in January. If he took a
1: step forward against Colorado State, he took three steps back against Tennessee. Turnovers, missing wide-open shots, couldn't stay in front of a guy on defense. He is not my favorite player right now on this Michigan team, and he very well could turn out to be a good player. I don't think he's going to go pro after this year. There's not a damn thing that boy has done to earn his five-star rating or to you know have a good draft evaluation so he could end up very well being like a a Karis LeVert, a guy I didn't really care for at the beginning, turns out to be a really good player and has a good NBA NBA career. But I do, man, I do not see that right now in Caleb Houston. Nothing that scared me about the Michigan Tennessee game is that that big dude that uh, Tennessee has matched up size wise with Dickinson, and he was he was kind of getting to Dickinson's head a little bit, but he had every single answer and it was so I don't think Dickinson saw when that dude uh he he hit like a little hook shot over Dickinson and then the did the too small thing with his hand and then Michigan went down Dickinson had an and one right on top of him and it seemed like from there on Michigan really took off that was absolutely awesome to see you don't see many big men taking their shots at Hunter Dickinson and I think uh Dickinson proved why, why you don't do that on, what was that, Saturday?
0: Yes, yeah, Saturday is right. Hunter Dickinson, you've heard me all year being so excited about, like, we need to get this guy in the tournament. It's because there is a little bit of swag with him too. So once he, you're right, he did do that too small thing. It felt like a personal possession. That he's used to say, I need the ball. Like, you're going to have to give me the ball right now. I'm a little pissed off. And Hunter Dickinson is a guy that I really do feel like can be the reason why Michigan gets by Villanova. And at that point, Hunter Dickinson, for one game against Arizona, I'd be picking Arizona, I'm not going to lie to you, but for one game, if Hunter Dickinson balls out, it's not unfathomable to believe that Michigan can be a Final Four team now. Well, yeah, that's, that's
1: sort of been the case this year with Michigan that throughout the whole entire season Feast or famine. Time. Yeah, you know, Dickinson usually provides you with really good offense. It's just whether or not they can get a supporting cast um, around him. And, uh, you know, Eli Brooks has been stepping up and doing a great job. And really the key to Villanova and if Michigan advances further is those two scoring along with Musa Diabate. Because, man, I'm telling you, that, that dude is a real big matchup nightmare. And even when he gets switched out on the guards, He's at the athletic enough to where I feel pretty confident with him at least contesting the shot. So those three guys are, are going to be the key to Michigan's run, assuming that, you know, Devontae Jones and Frankie Collins can manage the offense still.
0: All right, let's talk about Purdue for a little bit before we preview those sweet 16 matchups, potentially Elite 8 matchups as well. Purdue, they have had the best possible draw in the Big Ten I mean, you first of all, you get Yale, who, n- no disrespect to Yale, they really didn't feel like a strong 14. It was pretty evident that this isn't the Yale teams that have been threatening in the tournament the last few years. But then on top of that, too, you have probably one of the weaker six seeds in a tournament with Texas. Beat up on them a little bit. Now they get St. Peter's coming up before, at the very worst, facing a four-seeded UCLA. Their height has been very important for them early in this tournament, but we keep hearing about the Ken Palm defensive inefficiency that Purdue has had so far. What do you what do you make of them so far? Because we really, I feel like you don't we haven't got a great look at them because the matchups have been so soft. Yeah, but the
1: good thing is is that they look good while while they played these weaker competitions. You know, Texas isn't Texas isn't terrible. I've not been high on Texas this whole year, but. I thought that was a good tune-up game for them, and they should... I know we're going to get into the previews in a little bit, but man, if this team does not make a Final Four this year, I don't know if if they can under Matt Painter, because you're right, they have the easiest path to the Final Four, although they would have to run into a hot UCLA or North Carolina team, the Big Ten got lucky with this draw, and they need to... Purdue needs to um, execute on on this draw more than
0: ever. And I think that they will at least against St. Peter's. I can't imagine the Jersey City kids being able to say they faced off against guys like Zach Eadie too much. I don't know much about that conference, but I think the size is just going to be too much. We will get into previous turns. Like, Honestly, oh, so let's just jump into that too. We can kind of morph these together. So Friday, Purdue is going to face off against 15-seeded St. Peter's. And then if they do get the win, you mentioned we're going to see them face either a very hot UCLA team or UNC team. I think they're going to get by St. Peter's, but I have a really bad feeling about that Elite Eight game.
1: I think they get by St. Peter's too. This is a, a massive line. I just wanted to check that real quick. Purdue's a 12 and a half point favorite. So while St. Peter's has been, you know, a great story, I can't imagine that they cover that and, and win the game. Well, they might cover it, but I don't, I don't think that they win the game. And then going into that matchup, hey, I don't think it really matters who Purdue plays, UCLA or UNC. That's one, that's gonna be a very high scoring game. And two, the momentum that they both have might be uh too much for Purdue. I'm going to take Purdue to make the Final Four just because I want it to happen so bad. I really do. I mean, obviously, I hope that one Big Ten team wins the championship. But if it's not Michigan, I hope that Purdue is able to at least make the championship game. One, because this team is so dang talented that when they have it all rolling, they are legit one of the best teams in the country. So for that reason, I'm going to take Purdue to beat St. Peter's. And I'm not going to give you a UCLA-UNC prediction because that game is going to be very tough to predict. But
0: either way, I'm going to have Purdue winning and making it to the Final Four. Again, not Big Ten, but that matchup, UCLA-UNC, it's inside three points in the spread right now, too. Vegas is expecting a very fun game there. Hubert Davis needs to get a little bit more credit, too. is Roy Williams, don't get me wrong, outstanding coach, Hall of Famer, guy's going to be all-time. But Hubert Davis, I feel like he's been getting disrespected this year. And he made some real key adjustments. And especially in that Baylor game, you're up twenty-five. The roof caves in on you after that Brady Mannix flagrant two. When that gets to overtime, you heard you saw my text. I'm like, dude, Baylor is going to run them out of the gym in this overtime. And UNC not only being able to weather this storm, but to come out on top. That speaks a lot to the the character of a team. And I think the character of their head coach and That's why I think UNC is my final four pick now in that region.
1: Absolutely. I was feeling the same way. I think I, you know, once Baylor got that to overtime, I thought they had all they obviously had all the momentum. And I didn't think UNC stood a chance, but the composure of that team, that it felt like they just needed a refresh. You know, all right. And you could see it with that last shot that they took. That was not a good shot before uh regulation ended. That was a bad shot. I felt like they didn't care if they made or missed it. Obviously, if they would have cared if they made it, but they didn't care if they missed it. They just wanted to get out of there, take a break, refresh, and that's exactly what they did. That was a fantastic coaching job by Hubert Davis and that was great composure by the UNC
0: players. So you are going to call the Purdue to beat the winner of the UCLA-UNC game, correct? I I am, and that is my Big Ten bias coming out. More than fair enough. Now, we'll probably get your Michigan bias coming out here a little bit, maybe, but they're going to be matched up with Villanova. Villanova is a a four-and-a-half-point favorite. One thing that I I really didn't take too much into consideration before because I didn't think that Michigan was going to get there again, this is their fifth straight Sweet 16. It's the second-longest streak in the country, only behind Gonzaga, who also almost didn't get there this year. What do you make of this game? Because this is a rematch of that national title game, what, three, four years ago now. You're even going to have some fun storylines with that. Eli Brooks going to be matched up on Colin Gillespie for a lot of this game. How is your initial thought about half a week out? Man, nervous
1: to, to say the least, because I think Michigan is starting to play the right, the way that they should have been all year long, playing through Hunter Dickinson and Eli Brooks. But I, I don't think that their guard play is good enough to contain Colin Gillespie and others. One thing that I think that Villanova did against Ohio State that they probably won't be able to do against Michigan, you want to think, is that they switched everything. Every ball screen, they switched. If they do that against Michigan, I think that's advantage Michigan because you're going to get Moussa Diabate and Hunter Dickinson on some small guys. And Villanova is not a very big team, and that's why they were able to do that against Ohio State, who is also not a very big team and has success with it. But if they plan to do that against Michigan, I think Michigan has a good shot to win the game if they play through Hunter Dickinson and Musa Diabate and they're able to splash a few threes. They can't shoot 10% from three and win this game. They're going to have to shoot into the low to high 30s and take a decent volume, maybe around 15 to 18 threes, just because they're going to have to double Dickinson. With the size advantage that he's going to have,
0: Michigan needs to knock down the open threes, the open looks that they get. It definitely is going to be a game two. And I would probably tell you that I would take Villanova minus four and a half, and that's not because of what Michigan doesn't do. I think it's going to be one of those games for 35 minutes. It's back and forth, heavyweight swing after heavyweight swing. Maybe it just be the foul trouble down the end, or or I guess fouling to, to try to extend the game. I feel like Villanova is going to come out on top, but it's because, too, this is a very balanced offense for Villanova. You have four guys that are averaging over 10 points a game. Guard plays is terrific. And they're going to run a lot of pick and roll against this Michigan team, try to really stress the perimeter defense. And here's a fun stat I heard earlier, but Villanova is 5-4 this season when they make six or fewer threes. They're very much like Colorado State. They love to chuck them. They, I think they're averaging like 26, 27 three-pointer attempts a game. If they play good defense on the perimeter and kind of force them to score in other ways, I think they have a real shot. And the other thing for Michigan, too, that I think can be an asset is that they can play a little bit deeper on a bench where Villanova, they only have six guys that really are involved in the rotation. None of them are over six foot eight. But after that six guy, there's only one guy that averages over 10 minutes a game, and it's literally 10 minutes. They do not stretch the bench at all. And if they get into foul trouble, which is very possible with Michigan's size, that's the recipe, I think, to get Michigan into that Elite Eight matchup.
1: To touch on your first point there, Wally, um, yeah, Michigan cannot do what they did against Colorado State and wait to start to guard the three-point line in the second half because this Villanova team will shoot the lights out and you will be down by 15 points at halftime and not be able to overcome that deficit against a better Villanova team. So that is key, guard the three-point line, before it gets to be an issue. Force them into some tough shots. And you're right about the depth issues at Villanova. But they have yet to get into foul trouble. And I think that if Michigan can expose them down low in the post and get some guys into foul trouble, that would be another way to Michigan winning and advance to the Elite Eight. But also something to keep an eye on is Devontae Jones. I'm not exactly – I think they said it was an illness that he left, but he got hit in the head by his own teammate, during the game, so hopefully it's not back-to-back concussions because you probably won't see him the rest of the tournament if that is the case. And that is key because there's nobody behind Frankie Collins, death-wise. They're going to have to rely on Eli Brooks, and Eli Brooks can do it, man. That dude's been playing a ton of minutes for Michigan, I mean, really his entire career. But you would just like to have that added depth and, and an experienced point guard like Devontae Jones handling the ball that, you know, maybe Frankie Collins is a little too riled up or whatever. So that would be something that I would keep an eye on throughout the week leading up
0: to the game. And I think storylines itself can almost write themselves in games like this where Eli Brooks, the one I think is the coolest, is that he's a guy now that this is really going to be a, a personal game because, yeah, you had that. He played significant minutes in the national title game against Villanova however many years ago. But even beyond that, this is a guy that was recruited hard by Villanova. It was one of his top schools that he looked at, and now you have a chance to almost right the only real wrong in his career. Not that he did anything wrong, but to get over the team that beat him in a national championship game, I think it could be a really exciting opportunity for him. And again, if they get into foul trouble, I think Michigan has a very real chance to win this game. All right, final things today, and then I guess we'll let everybody go on their way then. Casey, I want your picks. Michigan, Villanova, who wins the game? And if Michigan does move on, Michigan, Arizona, Michigan, Houston, who's going to the final four?
1: I, I think I'm going to go with Villanova over Michigan. I think their guard play is going to be too much. Although there are areas of weakness that I think Michigan can't expose. They're not consistent enough shooting the three ball. From Eli Brooks to, you know, Devontae Jones to especially Caleb Houston, I don't think they're consistent enough to to shoot the three and win this game. So I have Villanova winning, and then um, to be honest with you, I don't know who the heck's going to win that Arizona-Houston game. I know you're pretty high on Arizona, but the way Houston's playing, I'm not too convinced that that's going to be a cakewalk. So um, I'm going to take Villanova winning over Michigan.
0: I'm so high on Kelvin Sampson, but I love Arizona. I just can't imagine that anybody is going to beat them. But I don't think it really is going to matter for our podcast because sadly, I think that there's only one more Big Ten win on the schedule and that's going to be Purdue-St. Peter's. I've got a really bad feeling, Casey, that we're going to be doing a show next week with a Final Four that means absolutely nothing to us.
1: You know, I kind of gave my pick earlier. I do think that Purdue is going to get by St. Peter's. And while I don't feel confident in Purdue beating either North Carolina or UCLA, I'm going to pick them to win just because I <laughs> I really want to root for that. We need a Big Ten team in the Final Four, and I think Purdue has its best shot. I'm going to roll with it, Purdue getting to the Final
0: Four. Before we wrap up, kind of an impromptu topic here, something we saw over the weekend, David Ajabo's Achilles tear. Just a couple things I want to get your thoughts on, first of all. There's a ton of noise right now about the reaction to him rupturing his Achilles. I think a lot of people don't understand what these events are like too. And I, I was kind of confused. Like are scouts supposed to be running out there acting like they have this doctor degree, knowing what's going on. I would have been trying to stay away too, if I didn't know what I was doing, but I wanted your thoughts on that. And then second of all, David Ajaba, you got to imagine his draft stock's still going to be pretty good. It just hurts that he might not be a day one guy anymore.
1: Yeah, to, t- to touch on that, if you would watched that video, there were like no Michigan personnel around. The guy that was walking by, I, he had like a light blue. I don't know. It looked kind of like a Lions or a Car- Carolina Panthers blue on his shirt. Very disappointing, the reaction. You know, I, I know it, it could have been anything. He could have sprained his ankle. He was just taking some time down. But, um, you know, for no one to check on him – and the five seconds that he was down on that little video that we saw it was kind of disappointing. But you're right, you know, there are, there are a ton of scouts there. That that's what they're there for. They're I I don't think you would expect a scout to run out there and and check on him. And I was you know saw pictures and stuff of when you know Michigan coaches saw what or heard what happened. Whatever they were all there and around him. So. As far as a, a bad look on Michigan, I don't really think it is on them. More so, the NFL and I saw some tweets floating around like, "Hey, this is why you need to, you know, go get your bag while you can because it's a business. They don't, you know, necessarily care about your health." And well, I don't necessarily think that teams don't care about you know players' health or whatnot. But that was blown out of proportion a little bit, yes. But also, I can see both sides of it. And for Ojabo, man, how disappointing is that? That absolutely sucks. Very disappointing for Ojabo, man. But it does sound like from uh, some of the people that I've, I've heard and talked about that this could be a potentially quick recovery for an Achilles tear as they compared it to some other NFL player that recently tore his Achilles and came back. And I believe it was like six or seven months like that. So hopefully it doesn't drop his NFL stock. Hopefully he doesn't slide in the draft because this dude is is really, really good and he's still very, very raw. And that is somebody that might not make a splash right away in the NFL, but give him two, three years and he could be a a really good player. So hopefully for his sake, he's still a a first round top 15 kind of guy.
0: And it's easy to say because we haven't met him personally, but from all accounts, the guy is just like the highest character of players, highest character of person. I've got to imagine somebody's still going to take a gamble on him early rather than later. Well, we'll see. we got to obviously cross our fingers for David Ajabo, hopefully still a late day one, early day two player. But that is going to bring us to the end of another episode of Pigskins and Nylon brought to you by Tabbies.com, the world's best Delta 8 edible. Casey and I will definitely be back here early next week. We'll look back at the Sweet 16 and Elite Eight. Hopefully have Hayden back. If not, he'll be back sooner rather than later. But Casey, what are your final thoughts for us today?
1: My final thoughts for the day are uh, to keep an eye on this women's March Madness bracket. I don't know if if you're you know too into that, but we have three potential. I think it's only it might be four. Three teams tonight playing tonight that could potentially reach the Sweet Sixteen from the Big Ten and join Maryland, who has already made it to the Sweet Sixteen. Ohio State plays LSU tonight. Michigan. Place Villanova, actually, same as the men's, and Indiana plays Princeton. So two really good matchups there. Michigan and Indiana are both three seeds playing 11 seeds. And typically when you get into the women's tournament, the higher seeds are pretty less superior than the, the – did I say that right? It sounded fine. The higher seeds, meaning the three seeds – are more superior than the lower seeds, being the 11 seed. So, uh, look for Indiana and Michigan tonight to to make it to the Sweet 16. And really, Michigan has a really good draw in that tournament because South Dakota upset the two seed Baylor in that same bracket. So, um, really, Michigan should be looking at like an Elite Eight matchup with probably Louisville. So, so, something that I'm keeping an eye on. Still rooting for the Big Ten teams. Hopefully, the women's can have a little bit more. Success than what the men have had, and get more Big Ten teams in the Sweet Sixteen.
0: Absolutely, I was actually watching that South Dakota Baylor game because Baylor's been kind of like one of the cream of the crop of women's basketball, winning national titles their own right. It's kind of cool to see the women's tournament start to become a little bit more competitive early on, opposed to wait until the third weekend, which unfortunately too sucked for the Big Ten because Caitlin Clark, who's one of the best women's basketball players we've ever seen at the college level. She gets or bounced by Creighton in an upset. So definitely keep an eye on that and keeping it with women's sports for one second, Ohio state's women's hockey team won the national championship yesterday against Minnesota Duluth, Ohio state's first hockey national title in the entire school. So awesome time for big 10 women's sports. Definitely wanted to say congrats to women's there, but outside of that, dude, Jim Knowles trying to inject life in Ohio State's defense. Devontae Adams is a Raider. It is football time in my brain because the basketball season has officially broke my will. Hey, real quick, um, I saw that Michigan got a one seed in the NCAA
1: men's hockey tournament. What, what did Ohio State get? Do you know? I, I'm not even trying to be an
0: asshole. I just... They didn't make it. They did not make it. There were only three Big Ten teams that did, and Michigan was a one. Notre Dame made it as a three, and Notre Dame is in the Big Ten for hockey. And then it was either Wisconsin or Minnesota was the third team. Yeah, but my dad and I were watching the selection show right after the women's team won the national title, and we were really disappointed to be left off the list. So so how many teams are in this tournament? Only 16 for hockey. It starts basically at that sweet 16 stage, and that makes it really hard to get in as an at-large. Okay. Yeah, that that makes a lot more sense. Is it a one game
1: tournament too?
0: Or yes. Like win and go home, yeah. or win and go on, lose and go home.
1: Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. So we'll see if uh, Michigan Men's can try to repeat the success that the Ohio State women's hockey
0: team did in claiming a national championship. That will be something to keep an eye on too. Yeah, and that's a great way to get yourself into hockey because Michigan has some pros all over that team. It should be a lot of fun to watch. But otherwise, I really don't have much else to add, Casey. You good to go? Well then, thank you guys so much for listening. We'll see you back here next week for episode 61 of Pixens and I